Well, welcome. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here at New Life Church in Wilsonville, and I'm very glad that you're here with us. We are uh, in the end now of a short mini-series on what our church is about, and so uh, we have these little booklets. Uh, They're available on the resource table. If you haven't seen this or don't have one of these, uh, this is a little booklet that that helps describe uh, who our church is, what our mission is, what our values are, and um, what we are about. And if you go get to the back, our mini-series, this is the, the fifth of five, uh, and next week we will be jumping back into the book of Matthew and working our way through the book of Matthew. But uh, for this series, we've been uh, talking about the structure of our church. And so we are a multi-site church. We have uh, multiple campuses in uh, Wilsonville, Westland, uh, Gladstone, and we're working on getting one started in Oregon City right now. And so uh, in the back part of the booklet, it has our vision and the, the pictures for what we've got. And so we've got a big church with little congregations. And so we had a sermon where we talked about, and actually an all-church gathering, right? All, all of the campuses of New Life Church, all the congregations of New Life Church gathered together in Oregon City, and we talked about uh, how the church is not just one local, one congregation, but is God's people all over the world. And so uh, we work together and are all part of the church together. Uh, then we have this congregation, that's the, the group that meets in Wilsonville, we talked about what it means for us to be uh, serving as a congregation and working together and encouraging one another in our discipleship and helping to reach this community. And then last week we talked about uh, small group communities, right, from house to house meeting and praying from from house to house, uh, because it is hard to live life together one hour a week on Sunday mornings, and so we have a life group structure uh, that we try and encourage people to be living life together. And then this week is the final one. This is the, the individual right here, and this is uh, discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean as an individual to follow Jesus. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Colossians, we're going to be looking uh, primarily at Colossians chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 today to see as Paul writes to the church in Colossae to give them instruction on what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to then pluck his words out and, and, and examine them for our benefit this morning. Okay, so if you would turn to uh, Colossians chapter 3 and we're going to start in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." The first thing that that Paul gives us in chapter 3 is this mindset of a disciple, right? He says, if you have been raised with Christ, then the things that you should be thinking about are Christian things, Christly things, things having to do with Jesus. That's where you should be placing your mind, right? If you are a Christian, a Christ follower, then your mind should be uh, thinking about things in a Christian way and that your mind should be placed in, in this place. So the way he describes it is, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, who is seated at the right hand of God. So let's 
back up just because it does say if, right? It does say if. We're, we're making a presupposition even as we begin this when we're talking about disciples that we are in fact disciples, that we do in fact believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and not just the Savior of the world, but my own personal Savior, right? That when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross and it uh, paid for my sins. And that when he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death in his resurrection, that it conquered my sin and my death as well. And that when he was raised after that to be uh, in heaven with God, that I anticipate that he will also raise me up to be with him there. Okay. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is to say, all of us, all of us, were wicked sinners, right? Completely unworthy of the glory of God. But... We have been reconciled, right? Even though we were once alienated from God and hostile toward Him and doing evil deeds, now we have been reconciled with Him. How were we reconciled? Through the body of Jesus in His death and resurrection. That's how we were reconciled with God. So that we might be presented before God holy and blameless and above reproach. That's what Jesus did, right? Well, why would Jesus die on the cross for my sin? Why wouldn't he just live for his own life, his own righteousness? It was so that he could say, I have identified you, wicked sinner, and I would like to offer my life in your place so that I might offer you holy and blameless before God. I'm going to take away your sin. I'm going to pay the punishment for that. And then you will get my righteousness and I can present you holy and blameless before God. What a cool thing. How awesome is that? It's like somebody doing all the work on the sports field and then being like, okay, and now I'm going to pass to you and you kick it into the goal. But you did all the work. You got past all the defenders and there's no, not even a, a keeper in the goal here. You just passed it to me so I could kick it in. Jesus is like, yep, I did all the work. You kick it in. Ha! Ha! I believed and now I'm clean. It's done. Okay, so now, if we believe that, right, if you believe that you have been raised with Jesus, that you uh, spiritually died to your flesh and have been raised to new life with him, if then you have been raised with Christ, we're back in Colossians chapter 3, then seek the things that are above. Then seek the things that are above. If, in fact, you were a wicked sinner alienated from God and you have been cleansed of your sins so that you're no longer a wicked sinner alienated from God, then why would you spend your time thinking about wicked sinner things? Why would you waste your time thinking about that stuff instead of putting your mind where Jesus is? He's already been raised. He's already in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. Wouldn't we rather be thinking about that? 
And instead, what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves thinking about this, worrying about this. Oh, no. How am I going to make this work? I am so tired. I'm so stressed. I'm so anxious. I'm so grumpy. Those people are so annoying. Right? We spend so much time focused on this and getting lost in the mess that is right around us that we forget that we were wicked sinners alienated from God who have now been reconciled with Him and we have been raised with Christ. All of this stuff is going to go away. All of it. And what's going to be left is eternity in glory with Jesus. Let's go ahead and just think about that. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, who's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also then will appear with him in glory. Everything we do, everything we think about, should be in light of the context of our future glory with Jesus and His current glory. Everything should be filtered through that. I stubbed my toe. Well, in light of eternity, I'll tell you, every time I stub my toe, I, my first thought is never in light of eternity. My first thought is, that hurts. But everything that we deal with, we think of in terms of the in light of eternity, which, which means that if you know how something's going to end, right? If you've watched a movie, I, I saw the end of It's a Wonderful Life probably 15 times before I ever saw the first half of the movie. I don't know why that happened. I just kept walking into the room at the last 10 minutes of the movie. And so I saw the last 10 minutes of the movie over and over and over again. And then I watched the first part of the movie and I went, oh, now I see why people like this movie. But all of the stress or all of the mystery about what might happen, all of the struggle is not there if you know how the movie ends, right? It's a movie. It's going to play out the same way every single time. And so the first time you're watching it and you're watching and you're engaged in the story and you're seeing the struggle and you're seeing the, the loss and you're going, oh no, how are they going to deal with that? That's what we're dealing with in our own lives, right? That's what we're dealing with in our own lives. How am I going to deal with this? I'm dealing with the struggle. I'm dealing with the loss. I'm dealing with the challenges of life. But as soon as we put our minds where Christ is, we go, oh, wait, I already know the end of this story. And if you know the end of the story and you haven't seen the middle part yet, then you get to the middle part and you're like, huh, well, I know how this ends. I, I wonder how he's going to get through this. 
I wonder how he's going to get through this. I know that he does get through it because I know how the, how the story ends. But I wonder what that's going to look like because somehow there's going to have to be a reversal of fortunes in here. Somehow this situation has to get turned around somehow. And that's the way it is for our lives, right? We're watching the story unfold before us for the very first time. We haven't seen this story before, but we already know how the story ends. And so it's one of those things where you come up against a challenge and you go, wow, this is interesting. I would be really struggling with this, but God is going to turn this around somehow. It will be really interesting to me to see how God turns this around. There have been times in my life where there's been something that's come up and I've gone, okay, God, how are you going to redeem this? How are you going to redeem this? Because this looks irredeemable to me. This looks broken beyond repair. I don't know how you could possibly make this turn out for your glory. And he says, have you looked at your past? Have you looked at the mess that you are? Have you looked at the brokenness in your life and yet I can use you for my glory and so this is no problem for me. This is no problem for me. And so as disciples of Jesus, those who are following Jesus, we want to put our minds where he is. That needs to be our mindset. Okay, so now let's skip a few verses and go down to chapter 12 to see what the actions are that go along with the mindset. Uh, verse 12 of, of Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay, these are the characteristics. These are the, the characteristics of someone who is following Jesus. And the way that he starts to talk about it in verse 12 is you're going to put on these characteristics, right? Like somebody puts on a uniform. They put on a uniform and it identifies them as being official. For whatever their occupation might be, they put on the uniform and it says, I am official, I'm official. I, I heard about a, a kicker on a football team who got thrown out because he wasn't wearing his uniform and he came in through a side tunnel and one of the security guards looked at him and was like, you don't look like a football player. Get out. No, I'm, I'm on the football team. Nope, out, out. Right? The way that you know if somebody belongs is whether or not they're wearing the uniform whether or not they're wearing the uniform, that identifies them as official. And so what's the uniform, what's the official character of a Christian, somebody who's following Christ? This is what it says. You are holy and beloved. You have compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. You bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, you forgive each other. That's how they'll know. That's how they'll know. And I read this list and think, uh-oh. If I were to ask somebody, 
If I were to ask my neighbor, if I were to ask a friend, how would you characterize me? What words would you use to describe me? Would they use these ones? Would they use these words to describe me? Would they use these words to describe you? What if you prompted them and you said, would you say that holy and beloved, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient, bearing with other people and forgiving people, would you say that that describes me? Or are they going to go, you don't like like a Christian. Get out of here! What are you doing here? On the other hand, if you do have these things, is somebody going to go, oh, that, that does sound like what a Christian should look like. Christians think that. Non-Christians think that. Yeah, that, that's what a, should describe a Christian. Well, Better start putting on the clothes. Better start putting on the characteristics of a Christian, somebody who is holy and beloved and compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. Better start putting it on. How do you do that? Can you just go down to, to Goodwill and flip through the humble meekness section and find a blue tag special? Can you go to JCPenney and pick that up? Nordstrom? The Gap? Forever 21? Anywhere? Can we find these characteristics anywhere that we can just go and purchase them and put them on? No. No. These are things that God has to give to us. They're His clothes. These are the things that describe Jesus. If you were to ask somebody, Does these, do these words describe Jesus? They would say, yes. And when we came to Jesus, he said, oh, those clothes are terrible. Those clothes are terrible. You need a complete makeover. We are going to take off all of those clothes, and I'm going to give you these clothes so much better. So much better. These are the clothes of righteousness that we would recognize because we have placed our minds in heaven with Him, that we would recognize that we are therefore holy. And not only holy, clean, set apart for Him, but loved by Him. You are so loved by Jesus do you know that? There are times that we feel unlovely, unworthy of somebody's love. You are so loved by Jesus. You're so loved by Jesus that when you had done nothing worthy of his attention at all, he died on the cross for your sin. He loved you only because he loved you. I know that there are a lot of people that love you or tolerate you when you are performing well, but Jesus is not like that. He loves you. He loves you. 
you are completely loved by him. Therefore, you have been made holy, set apart for him. So that you can be compassionate for others as well. So in the same way that he has loved you, you can have compassion on other people, which means we have to be very humble. Because we recognize that we were not worthy of Jesus' love, and so even if they are not worthy of our love, yet I am going to love them. Meek and patient, we are going to bear with one another. We're going to carry their burdens with them, even when they are the burden. I mean, it's one thing when somebody's going, I'm really struggling with this. Can you come help me? Yep, I'll come help you. It's another thing when they're like dragging you down and hanging on you, and you're like, oh my goodness, would you please let go? No, we're going to bear with one another. We're going to hold them up. We're going to prop them up. We're going to go together. We're going to get there together. And if one has a complaint against another, we are going to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, if you're going to forgive, it's going to require that you recognize that a debt is owed, right? That's what forgiveness is. Somebody owes you something and you say, I recognize the debt that is owed me and I am forgiving that debt. I'm forgiving that debt. I'm going to erase it, cancel it. It no longer exists. And when we recognize that we owe God a debt, our sin is a debt against God. We were not faithful to Him, and so we required His forgiveness. And He said, yep, that is a big debt. Okay, I'm going to cross that out. I gave that debt to Jesus. He paid for it. So now you have no more debt. It's been forgiven. We recognize that, and now we are free of that debt, right? We're no longer trying to pay it off. We're not, no longer trying to earn the favor of God because God has said, I have erased that debt. You don't owe that debt. I love you because I love you. And when somebody wrongs us, we tally that and go, oh, that was a debt, okay. Jesus has paid for that debt. I'm going to cross it off. I'm going to cross it off. This is incredibly hard because there is really a debt. They really did injure me. They did something that hurt me and made me feel bad. I feel pain because of the debt that they owe me. And they really do owe me, right? Let's not pretend that forgiveness is easy because it didn't really matter, right? No, it did matter. There was a debt there. They did owe me something. And I'm going to count that cost and say, I'm going to ascribe that to Jesus and I'm going to scratch it off. I'm going to cancel that debt. And then we have a different kind of freedom. Then we have a different kind of freedom because otherwise we're really in bondage to them paying back what they owe. Give me what you owe me. Pay me back. No, we can be free of that by saying we're going to forgive them 
of the debt they owed us in the same way that God has forgiven us the debt that we owed him. And it says in verse 14, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I mean, at this point, we have put on so many clothes, you would think it would be really heavy, right? You would think that if you had to put on compassion and humility and grace and love, like you're just piling clothes on top of clothes on top of clothes, and at some point, wow, isn't this a huge burden of character that I must wear? Except that they're not. These are like the lightest clothes I've ever put on. They're so breathable. I can move so freely in these clothes. I feel great in these clothes. Because these clothes are the characteristics of Jesus that he has given to me. And he said, why don't you put on my clothes? This is the uniform of following me. And we put them on and we say, oh, I've never had anything that fit like this before. I've never had anything feel so protective and so light and so free all at the same time. This is marvelous. But how do you do that? How are you going to put on all these characteristics? Are you just going to try really hard? No, it says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The way that you're going to get these characteristics to be expressed in your life is by letting the word of Jesus, the word of Christ, live in you. It's going to live in you. I want the word of Jesus to live in me rent-free. It can just have all the space in my head that it wants. I'm just going to put it in there. It, it, I want the word of Jesus to just characterize me. I want it to... In my thinking about him being in heaven, I want to be meditating on that all the time, right? In the Old Testament, it talks about it, it, it as you get up and as you lie down and as you go out and as you're walking by the way, you're discussing these things. You're talking about these things. You're thinking about these things. You're meditating on these things. And we want God's word to be on our mind and in our hearts and on our tongues all the time so that it sounds like this. Look, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We, we just want it to be like coming out all the time. We're going to teach one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to admonish one another. It's going to be just living inside of us and this thing that we interact, that's how we talk with one another. In fact, it's not only how we talk with one another, it's how we sing with one another. Sometimes we feel like we walk in on Sunday morning and you come in and you sit down and then you're made to stand up and then we all have to sing these songs. And if I'm feeling really spiritual, I feel like, okay, I am singing my songs to God. They're God's songs and I'm praising Him. But this says we are actually singing them to God and to each other. Right? We're not coming in and watching a band perform songs. 
We're participating. They're encouraging and equipping us so that we can participate with them to sing these songs to one another for the glory of God. And as we're singing these songs, we have these songs. I, I hope that you notice the songs that we sing are rich with theology. They're rich with God's Word. Because we want, even in our singing the praises of God, to be instructive to our own hearts and to one another. We want to be encouraging and supporting one another, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And if we want that, if we want that kind of a context in verse 16, right? We're going to have to have 12 through 15. Like, you're going to have to have some patience and humility to walk in here and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with everybody else. You're going to have to have patience and, and forbearance with one another if you're going to admonish one another in all wisdom. You're going to have to have those characteristics. And if you want to have those characteristics, you have to do these things. It's just like, whew, they feed into one another. And so the more the one happens, the more the other happens. And the more the other happens, the more the one happens. So the character is built in the individual, but within the context of community. Because we're encouraging and uh, supporting one another in that. And whatever you do, verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever you do, whatever you do, when you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth, when you do whatever it is that your habits are, that the very first thing you do in the morning is, whatever that is, do it to the glory of God. Whatever the next thing is that you do, after you do the first thing, do that to the glory of God. The first person that you interact with every day, we do that to the glory of God. When you leave your house and you're interacting with the people around you, whether they are co-workers or the people at the grocery store or the people on the road, we do it for the glory of God. Because our minds are already sit there, right? In heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our minds are already placed there. We woke up in the morning and we went, where am I, where's my mind going to be at today? There. And that's going to inform then everything that we do so that everything we do then is worship. Right? Everything we do is worship. Everything we do, whether it's the interactions with the people around us or the things that we read or the things that we say or our actions throughout the day, everything that we do in life is uh, proclaiming the glory of God. It is worship in life. So that everything is worship. Everything that we do is worship. Worship is not limited to musical songs that we sing together on Sunday mornings, right? It is everything that we do, of which we cannot either say, oh, because all of life is worship, then the musical part is not important. No, that part is important. We just read that in verse uh, 16, right? 
But it's not limited to that. It expands so that all that we do, whatever we do or say, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I am a Christian. What does that mean? I'm doing everything I do in the name of the Lord Jesus. There are times when I want that to be true. And there are times when I'm very glad I don't walk around with a I'm a Christian t-shirt on. Because I'm afraid that if I'm walking around with a I'm a Christian t-shirt on, then everybody else is going, you know what he's doing there? He's doing that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Time out. That's why the characteristics, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the forbearance, the love, all of that has to be put on as a garment so that when they see us and they see those characteristics, they go, that's being done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what it means for us to follow Him. But again, the only way that we can do the actions carry out the character that has been given to us by Jesus is by allowing the Word of God to permeate us so that it is on our minds and in our tongues and in our community as we encourage one another. It is the prevailing force, the prevailing power within us because otherwise we're just going to look like a bunch of broken sinners and it's going to be an awful mess. And so we want the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, and we want to continue steadfastly in prayer. That's what it says in verse 2 of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If somebody says, be watchful, or if they say, watch out, what does that mean? Does it mean hey, sit there. Don't pay any attention. No, the reason that they say watch out is something's coming, right? I was in gym class one time, and so I heard my name, Travis, watch out! And so I turned, and the football hit me right in the face. And I went, little sooner, little sooner. Or you've had it happen, right, where you're walking along and then you uh, miss the step and you fall, and somebody goes, oh, watch that step. It's too late. Too late. But when you're helping somebody move something and they say, okay, watch out, there's a step, there's one, two, three, and they're counting it for you, and you're going, okay, one, two, three, then we know. We've been warned, watch out. And now what he's saying is, now, how are you going to watch out? How are you going to pay attention to your character and to your following of Jesus? It is because you are going to be steadfast in prayer. How's your mind going to remain fixed on Christ? It's because you're going to be praying, God, help me keep my mind on Jesus. God, I am in a situation here where I am a representative of Jesus. I'm a Christian in this context. Would you help me navigate this? God, I don't know what to do. Would you give me wisdom and insight? 
God, would you bring somebody alongside me to help me? God, would you help me get out of this? Would you help me to demonstrate your love to these people? God, I am really struggling to be patient right now. Would you give me your spirit with patience right now? God, I know that you are forgiving and you have forgiven me. Would you help me to forgive them? Because they owe me a debt that it's really hard for me to cancel. Continue steadfastly in prayer, both being watchful, asking God, paying attention and saying, God, these are the things that are coming up and these are the things that I need help with. Or the things that we see of others in the community and we say, hey God, I need you to, to help them now because they are struggling with this. And at the same time, being thankful and recognizing, God, thank you for carrying me through. Thank you for providing for all of my needs. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping them. We remember how we asked for prayer last week and you have answered that prayer this week. Thank you for answering that prayer. And so we are letting God's word live within us and we are continually, steadfastly coming to him in prayer. And between those two things, the characters of God, just characteristics of God, just work themselves out in us as we more and more draw near to Him and follow Him. And then He says this in verse 3, and at the same time, while you're continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us. Why? That God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He's saying, okay, and at the same time, would you pray for us? that we would have every opportunity to share this good news about Jesus that we have with those who don't yet have that good news. And this is one of the beauties of being in a congregation, right? In a community of, of God's people together is that we can pray for this and we can ask each other. You can ask one another in life group, have you had opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with anybody recently? No, I haven't. Would you pray for me that I would have opportunity, that the door would open up? We're not asking that we would go out and just like beat people over the head with it. Hey, I've got this Bible, pow! I've got this Bible, pow! We don't need to do that. We just need to ask, God, would you open the door? And we're praying for ourselves and we're praying for others. God, would you open the door so that you find yourself in a situation where somebody goes, you're a Christian, right? That's a dangerous question. Yeah, I'm a Christian, right? Can you explain to me? And boom, the door is open. There's no pressure. I didn't have to force anything. They just opened the door and that gave me an opportunity. And now pray, pray that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which Paul was in prison, we fortunately are not, but so that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. 
So we're going to ask for two things. One, that the door would be open so we don't have to force anything. The door's just going to open right up and we have opportunity. And then two, that we would make it clear, right? This is my prayer all the time. God, would you help me say this in a way that makes sense? God, would you speak to them through me? Because I've tried to explain stuff in the past, and it got all jumbled, and they didn't get it, and at the end, I wasn't sure I got it either. But God, if you open the door, and if your Holy Spirit is at work, then whatever I say, however messed up it sounds when it comes out of my mouth, you can help them to understand it, and it can be clear to them. God, can you do that, please? And Paul's saying, I want you to do that for me. Can you pray that for me? That God would open the door, that I would have opportunity to share, that I would be bold to share, and that it would be clear when I share. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We have these characteristics, we live them out in community as we bear with one another, we encourage one another in our mutual faith, and then we proclaim this good news to those who are willing to receive it. Whenever the door is open... And so he says, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And now, when we get to the end of this, we've read through all of the characteristics of the individual, and we read through the characteristics as they apply to relating to the people in the church, and now to the people who are outside of the church, and we go, that is overwhelming. That is a really, really high bar. I don't think I can clear it. And for that, we have the grace of Jesus. Because we don't have to clear it as a bar that's a minimum. This is the character of Jesus that has been given to us that we get to put on. And he will empower and enable us to do it. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you will set your minds on the things of Christ. That as a Christ follower, you might follow Him. And as we, <clears throat> excuse me, as we wrap up this series, what I'm hoping is that uh, I have described what New Life Church is about, right? That we are um, building disciples who are making a community of God's people who are uh, proclaiming and demonstrating the glory of God to those who are around. And also, at the same time, that we would be building an organization that uh, gives place for a community that helps one another grow in their discipleship. Right? So it goes up and it goes down, that we are doing both of those things and that that is what we are trying to do. I'm hopeful that we are accomplishing that in some small way. And I'm hopeful that you will participate with us as we seek the glory of God together. Let's pray.